It's time for Money for Lunch, where we feed your brain and your business with supersized portions of business and financial news. Now your host, Bert Martinez. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's always, always good to have you here. I'm excited. Today on the show, we have veterans lawyer Francis Jackson. Francis Jackson is an attorney who specializes in disability law for those seeking veterans disability benefits, as well as social security disability benefits. He's a founding partner of Jackson McNichol. He has been featured on NBC, CBS, ABC, and Fox network affiliates around the country. He's most recently appeared as a guest of Ben Glass on the Consumer Advocate Show discussing benefits for veterans and social security disability benefits and how his practice allows him to make the difference in the lives of the people facing these disabilities. He's been quoted in USA Today and is listed in Cambridge Who's Who. Mr. Jackson was honored by National Academy of Bestselling Authors with a Quilly Award in September 2012 for his contribution as a joint author to the Amazon bestselling book, Protect and Defend, where he wrote about protecting one's rights to veterans' disability compensation. Also, in 2017, Mr. Jackson was inducted into America's Most Trusted Lawyers for his outstanding work in disability law. For more information, visit VeteransBenefits.com. Francis Jackson, welcome back. Thanks so much, Bert. Always good to have you here. Hey, and I wanted to jump right into this and kind of get your take on what is happening with the VA overall this year. Give me kind of your your insights. Sure. Um, Well, probably the biggest thing uh, that we should pay attention to is that the uh, the VA Appropriations Committee uh, of the uh, Senate uh, Committee on Veterans Affairs has voted out the budget for next year. And it's uh, it's going up. Um, nice. If approved, uh, if if approved by the full house, it would be 270 billion dollars, and it's uh, uh, going to increase discretionary spending for the VA by um, nearly nine percent to about 113 billion. And it's uh, it's the biggest VA budget that's uh, that's ever been proposed. Um, it would mark a, another substantial funding increase in a department that's uh, gone pretty much straight up over the last 20 years. In, in fiscal 2001, Bert, the VA budget was $45 billion. By fiscal 2011, it was $125 billion. By uh, this year, uh, it's going to have doubled from that nearly uh, to $245 billion. So it's... Uh, as as you can see it's become a, a huge part of the uh, part of the government second biggest um, budget in all of the US government second only to the Department of, of Defense so it's uh, it's a big deal um, and one of the interesting things that's in the budget is they are they are proposing language that would rescind the rules against VA um, doctors discussing uh, medical cannabis use with patients. And that's that's a big deal because, as you know, the, uh, the federal law has prohibited cannabis for a number of years, and even though there are states that have enacted state laws allowing it, it's still technically illegal under federal law. But this is the first attempt 
at kind of putting a hole in that dam. So we'll see where it goes. But the uh, some of the interesting pieces are uh, $13 billion for Veterans Mental Health Services, uh, $2.4 billion to expand the uh, telehealth system that the VA uses to reach veterans who are in relatively remote areas that make it hard for them to access uh, VA clinics or hospitals. $2.1 billion for the veterans' homeless prevention uh, efforts and $1.4 billion for the uh, VA's program supporting caregivers for elderly veterans. So all in all, it's a, uh, it's a big deal. They've put in uh, another $2.5 billion to, uh, to work on the medical record system that's supposed to, to be able to interchange medical records with the Department of Defense so that those records can move seamlessly from the Department of Defense to Department of Veterans Affairs when people leave the military. And all in all, um, it's, uh, it's really a, uh, uh, an impressive uh, demonstration of, of commitment to our veterans. So the only, the only uh, one negative thing that uh, came up is that despite the bipartisan vote out of committee, uh, the Senate Minority Leader, Mitch McConnell from Kentucky, says that he plans to block all the spending bills on the chamber floor until his party gets concessions on military spending. So who knows where this is all going. But um, on the... Uh, Based on the on the vote in the committee, both Republican and and Democrat, it sounds like they're going to do good things for veterans. So we'll we'll have to wait and see. McConnell uh, tries to throw a monkey wrench in the works here, but you know it uh, it looks promising so far. Yes, absolutely. And, and you know, unfortunately, that's the way politics. You know, it's they just can't do the right thing for for the right reasons. It's got to be, hey, I'll I'll help you. If you give me what I want, and uh, I think it's a great example there, Mr. Mitch McConnell, thank you so much for sticking it to our veterans so you can, uh, I guess, help your constituents, uh, but that's just what we're up against. Uh, let me ask you this, because there's been also a lot of talk about the National Guard recently, everything from the attack on the Capitol building to dealing with COVID-19. This seems a bit unusual. Is that right? Give me your take on this. It is, Bert. Um, the uh, the National Guard is talking about uh, declaring 2020 the year of the Guard because last year, altogether, the National Guard was uh, activated for 11 million man days. Um, wow. That's the, high, that's the highest number since World War II. In 2019, for example, there are only two million man days, so uh, you know a, a five five and a half fold increase. Right. So it it's pretty wild, and you know this level of activation is higher than at the height of the Afghanistan and Iraqi wars. It's uh, it's really uh, putting a strain on individual members of the guard. I mean, a lot of these guys. Uh, as you probably know, um, make a base pay of about $3,000 a month when they're called up. When they're not on active duty, they get 200 a weekend for weekend drills, and the rest of the right. time they work some jobs. But um, 
because of the level of activation, a lot of people have uh, lost their civilian jobs, and so uh, that's a problem. And one of the other problems that uh, doesn't get talked about an awful lot is that with all the uh, moving around and uh, you know military bases being in some odd kind of isolated places in, in most instances and um, the uh, the pay level it means that a lot of spouses are unemployed because either they're not where they can get a job or they're not where they can get child care or whatever so it's um, it's really but uh, a serious financial impact on members of the guard and some related problems when people are called up for short deployments like the, the deployment to the capital for example the soldiers that were called up um, to the capital if they're not close enough to commute they don't get housing pays uh, they don't get basic allowance for housing unless the deployment is more than 30 days so if you're called up for a week or two and it's not close enough for you to commute you have to pay to stay in a hotel or Airbnb or whatever you're going to do in addition to um, being away from your job and it's the same with medical insurance um, when guard members are mobilized or deployed they only get medical coverage if their orders are for 31 days or more so again um, you know, they uh, when they're when they're on extended duty, they get the same eligibility for medical coverage as any active duty uh, service person. But less than that, they've got to provide their own health care coverage, and it's it's really a problem. They, a lot of guard members this year have lost jobs, um, and uh, there's even uh, some research suggesting that the uh, a lot of folks in the guard are are suffering from um, basic food insecurity uh, for themselves and their families and that's pretty scary stuff you know that that shouldn't be happening to our our service people when I mean, you're talking 800,000 folks in the in the various branches of the of the guard when you look at um, the uh, army and air force and navy and marines and uh, the uh, uh, the folks in the, in the reserves as well, you know, it adds up. And so, a, so I, I want to clarify this real quick because this blows me away. So, if if you're activated, you're called whatever, you're called uh, to, into duty. Yep. 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 And, and 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 so, if it's not close enough or, or whatever, you you're paying for your own hotel bill, and that's not reimbursed. That's right. If, if your deployment is less than 30 days, you don't get uh, basic housing allowance. That is crazy. How, you know, how is that even legal? <laughs> well, I know why it's legal, because it's the government, but that's crazy. You know, that would not, that would not fly in any other circumstance. Uh, you know, that is just crazy. And, uh, and I can attest to people losing their jobs. My daughter went through that. She's National Guard, and she had gotten a, a nice offer from a, a good company, and and the guard basically said, "Hey, well, we're gonna we're gonna call you to active duty in a week. Uh, they were gonna have her work for 30 days. Uh, she's in the logistics department, and so she de she had to decline the job. Uh, 
two weeks go by and they rescinded the order saying, hey, we, we changed our mind. We're not going to call you. And, you know, it's too late to get the job back. So yeah. it, it, is, uh, it is something that, again, it's one of those things that people don't see every day. Uh, it, you have people who are trying to support our country, protect our people, and, and sometimes they get treated very harshly and very poorly. But I did not know they had to pay for their own medical and their own uh, housing. That just seems absurd. It, it does seem absurd, but that's that's the that's the way it's set up. And you know they've just been getting called out left and right. I mean, uh, last week the uh, governor of uh, Oregon called out uh, 1,500 National Guard troops to help the hospitals with COVID, and they've been called out to support the fire crews because of all the fires out west. And, uh, obviously, they were called out for the uh, insurrection in the Capitol, and it's just been a crazy year for the guard. I mean, they're just and hit every every from every side it seems like yeah yeah let me ask you this i i, I want to get your your thoughts on this as well uh you know we have talked about the ongoing problem of the high suicide rates among our veterans and want to know if you had any information on that issue anything happening yeah this there's been some recent research um and I, I have to say it's not not very encouraging. But the, uh, mm. the the Cost of War Project has released a study last week, and what they found was that um, we we lost about seven thousand people who died in in the global war on terror, uh, various wow. places around the globe. Uh, in that same period of time, thirty thousand. Global War on Terror veterans died by suicide. So, wow. Okay. So, so, so we've had seven thousand. We've had seven thousand who died in action. Yes. And, and 30, then we've had thirty thousand who have committed suicide. Yep. In in the same period. So same you're talking period. almost almost oh, well over four times, almost four and a half times as many right. lost to suicide. That is disturbing. It is. And and there are, I mean, there's been a lot of research trying to understand what's going on and how it could, it could be resolved but, or improved. But um, the problem is it's, it, like most things, it's multifactorial. Um, you know, I mean, some of, the, some of the factors that they cite are the trauma of combat, which is pretty understandable. Um, but there are also, um, interestingly, one of the factors that they cite is that people have been um, given much better and faster medical treatment. Now, that sounds like it would be a positive, but in fact, what they found is that because of that, uh, not only have people survived, but they have been redeployed um, after being wounded. And so... You have people who have been wounded multiple times and being deployed over and over, uh, racking up more physical and mental impact from all of that. Um, and one of the things that uh, I thought was uh, was particularly interesting uh, was they, they tried to filter out, okay, you know, we, we taking, taking being in combat as kind of a whole, are there 
pieces within that that are particularly problematic. And they, uh, they found that there were two um, uh, participating in, uh, in ambushes and killing a civilian, whether intentional because somebody is coming at you with a, a, an improvised explosive device or a gun, or whether it's accidental in the midst of a firefight. Um, those are the two that were most closely linked to later suicide. Wow. But there, whole, but there are a whole bunch of things going on. You know, the, it's the, the stress of, uh, of various kinds of trauma, mental, physical, moral, uh, lots of stress and burnout, and the, uh, uh, the difficulty of reintegrating into civilian life after being in the, in the military, um, ongoing access to guns. Uh, you know, as a psychiatrist, I, I know who, uh, uh, was talking about uh, suicide, and he said, you know, you see a lot of these suicide attempts uh, by uh, younger people and uh, uh, so on that, that, you know, you're pretty sure they weren't serious. So the ones you got to watch out for are the old white guys with guns. <laughs> so those are, those are mostly all successful. But... The, the bottom line is there's an awful lot going on here, Bert, and nobody really knows um, how to uh, how to prevent it. But one of the things is just the the length of time this has gone on. We're talking 20 years of combat operations now. Sure. Uh, another is that a lot of these folks have been deployed and redeployed even after being injured, um, and. You know, uh, another is that um, the uh, the long hours, the separation from family, and uh, for some, uh, the the prevalence of sexual trauma in the military, which has led right. to some other legislation. But one of the things that they really um, really emphasized is that. The, uh, the pervasive attitude in the military is, uh, you know, favors um, toughing it out, and uh, that that simultaneously uh, reduces people's willingness to ask for help, and also reinforces the notion that um, acknowledging any sort of need for help is uh, a sign of weakness and a threat to career in the military, and so it's just been uh, it's been pretty. Pretty wild stuff. Um, lots of uh, lots of different factors going into this, but the uh, the thing that is is concerning is that um, the, some of the highest suicide rates have been 2018, 2019, and 2020. Obviously, we don't have numbers for 2021 yet, but um, the fact that the more recent years have pushed the rates up is is very concerning. Sure, absolutely. Well, and I have to believe that that uh, social media probably plays uh, a role in all this increased suicide. I mean, there's, you know, social media can be good and it can also be a terrible place. And people say some horrible, horrible, mean-spirited things and you know some people some people take these 
these uh, words seriously and, and injure themselves. That's true. I think I think there is a role for that. Is you know one of the one of the sad parts about the internet is that there is constant bad stuff available if you're drawn to look at it. Yes. And, and you know what? And if you're in a state of mind where you're already feeling guilty because of a combat-related mishap, you know, you could have somebody just push you right over the edge. It's true. I mean, as as you've seen in, in the context of, uh, well, I guess most of the news about it has been in the context of bullying among young women but and, and young men, for that matter, uh, high school and junior high and so on, um, that, that social media stuff can be the, the impetus to, to push people all the way to suicide, which is very sad. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, let me ask you this, kind of changing the subject a little bit. Um, one of the things that I found out recently is that hearing loss is one of the most common problems among our veterans. Uh, what's your take on this? Any comments? Yeah, actually, there's some interesting stuff going on in that, Bert. Um, uh, first off, it is the highest um, uh, service-connected disability, uh, hearing loss, in, in, in the entire veterans' disability system. Hearing loss is the, the number one um, uh, problem in terms of numbers. But uh, one of the things that's going on right now, and you may have heard some of the news about this, but uh, 3M was contracted by the government to provide earplugs for um, for soldiers for both training and combat. And there is a series of lawsuits pending now uh, against 3M saying that they failed to provide adequate safety warnings for their combat uh, earplugs and that um, they basically hid the... Uh, uh, the design flaws and uh, fudged the test results and uh, failed to even tell people how to properly use these things. So um, the the Army used these from 2007 through 2013, so six years of, uh, of our military using them pretty widely. And there have been a whole bunch of lawsuits consolidated. Uh, a... Uh, District Court Judge, uh, Federal District Court Judge Casey Rogers is uh, presiding over the litigation, and they've they've had some sample trials, as it were, to uh, to let the parties figure out kind of who's who's got the better case and see if they can't um, resolve it without trying all of these. So the way it's gone so far, um, there were three consolidated cases uh, tried together, and 3M lost. There was a second case uh, that 3M won, and the third one just went to trial um, with a, uh, a verdict for uh, the, uh, the veteran, uh, Mr. Baker, and the jury awarded uh, $1.7 million in damages. And, of course, that's, that's somewhat offset because they found he was somewhat at fault. Um, he was partially at fault, and 3M was more at fault. But the, uh, the first case uh, for the, the three um, veterans resulted in a 1.7 million, uh, sorry, 7.1 million dollar verdict. So 
right now, um, it looks like overall um, the the veterans are probably uh, kind of have the 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 stronger side of the the claim, and I'm I'm thinking that probably means that a lot of these things are going to get settled, but it's hard to know. Um, and for those who who either did not participate in that lawsuit or had hearing issues before or after, obviously they continue to be eligible for uh, regular VA benefits for hearing loss. For that matter, people participating in the in the combined lawsuits are, are eligible for those benefits as well. So it's uh, it's a very interesting time in terms of uh, of the whole hearing loss issue. This um, this 3M litigation has really dominated that particular area of, of uh, veterans' disability benefits for the last few months. Yeah, it's interesting. You know what, and it just it just goes to show you, uh, people ask all the time, you know, uh, why do we need so many lawyers? Well, here's a perfect case. 3M, multi-billion dollar company. All they had to do is say, hey, listen, guys, we're sorry. We found a defect. We're going to make it right. If they would have just done that, they would have easily avoided all this bad press, bad feelings, all this money that they're going to spend on lawyers and litigation, and just just so simple. Just do the right thing and avoid all sorts of junk. And, you know, it, it's, it just blows me away. It blows me away every time a big corporation does this especially one that's so well-known, so respected, and so profitable. Yep. You, you have to wonder what uh, what uh, makes people so determined to, um, to not just fess up and do the right thing. But, yeah. You know. And, and you know that, and you know that at, at some point they had a meeting about this and they made a, a choice and they said okay well if we put this out there this may happen and anyway so uh, that's just too bad hey let me ask you this because you know we talked recently about the new law that allows both men and women in the service who are injured by medical malpractice to make claims Um, what about veterans you know what, what if they're you know what if they're subject to some kind of medical malpractice, let's say at a VA facility? Give me your overview on this. Yeah, Bert, there's a, there's a federal law. Uh, it's called the Federal Tort Claims Act. And it says that if you have a claim against the government, including one um, by a veteran for medical malpractice, you can bring a lawsuit against the government. You have to give them notice within two years of the, the time of the event. Um, and you uh, you don't get a jury trial. You get a trial before a judge. But regardless, you you do uh, get to bring your claim and uh, and have a trial. In fact, there's a there's a recent example um, up in up in the Northeast with um, a gentleman in Hartford who was treating uh, just over the the border into Vermont at the uh, White River Junction Medical Center, and he. Um, filed suit for medical malpractice because he, his claim was that, as you and I have talked about, he'd been exposed to the burn pits while he was um, deployed in uh, the Middle East. And the, 
the gentleman kept complaining of um, internal GI-type problems, and they told him that, oh, this was irritable bowel syndrome, and yada, yada, yada. Finally, um, he was he was uh, having bleeding in places you wouldn't want bleeding, and <laughs> he, uh, he uh, had a... Uh, uh, a uh, CAT scan um, and colonoscopy, and they found that actually he had stage four cancer there. So it's uh, it's a real uh, a real problem. But he he brought suit, and uh, they've now settled it. Of course, as always, it's an undisclosed amount. But they uh, they they did settle the case, and and he was his claim has always been that. His uh, deployments in the Middle East exposed him to the burn pits, and that's what uh, caused this problem. And the sad part is the doctors that were treating him had never even heard of the burn pits. They, they, didn't, they didn't even know about this stuff. And it's, wow. It's just, you know, it's, just uh, uh, it's, it's one of those things, you know, the, uh, they, they kind of never catch up with themselves in terms of what's going on. But the, the recent presumption for things like asthma and sinusitis and rhinitis at least uh, is going to put that more on the, uh, the VA medical community's radar, and hopefully they'll also be focusing on some of these other issues like the potential for cancer, for example. Because the, the crazy part in this burn pit stuff is they burned everything. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of stuff in there. You know, it's the it's the problem that firefighters have. I'm sure you've, you've heard some of the news about it, but Firefighters have a much higher propensity for cancer than uh, than others because they get exposed to all this uh, all these carcinogens in smoke uh, from you know you have a house fire everything that's in there is burning folks you know it's, they don't it's not right. not all things that aren't carcinogenic so it's uh, it's really a, a a terrible problem and and nobody kind of knows where it's going yet but the, the VA at least has stepped up and said, well, we know it causes asthma. We can prove that much. And eventually, I think they're going to have to concede that a lot of other things are caused, like this poor gentleman's uh, colorectal cancer. But you never know. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's wild. It just the, the fact that that somebody, I guess for lack of better terms, in the system was not aware of the burn pits. Uh, you know, I, I guess that's a breakdown in communication or training or something. Somebody missed something because uh, that is just something that they all should have gotten some kind of training on, at least a memo. And, you know, most likely it was a memo sent via email. And, of course, we get a 1,000 emails a second, so we're only, you know, we can only – open a few of those, who knows? It's just tragic. It is. And I think one of the one of the things that has been going on, Bert, um, it's just my personal opinion, but I, I'm, I'm convinced of it, is that the VA has really tried to play down this whole burn pit exposure. They, they have been very concerned about it. I think this uh, step by the Biden administration to step up and say, okay, we, we know there was bad stuff going on there, and we're at least going to create a presumption of service connection for things like asthma. That I think that's a big step forward, kind of putting it on uh, on everybody's radar. And I'm I'm hoping 
that that will only be the first step, that they will, in fact, take a hard look at the other things that are being caused there, because it's very clear from all the studies about the firefighters that uh, this smoke inhalation stuff from, you know, when you when you just start burning all kinds of crazy things that have have various chemicals in them, does really bad things to the human body. Absolutely. It, it, and what's amazing, uh, and, and again, uh, this is pure speculation on my part. Maybe you have better uh, intel than I do, but I'm thinking that these guys are at the burn pits, probably have no personal protection equipment on. There's no guidance. There's no system in place to say, okay, we're going to limit exposure. You got to be wearing this, you, you know, there, there's just nothing. It's like, Hey, you know, you're, you're going to work an eight hour shift burning stuff. And I think that has, uh, <laughs> as boys, for lack of better terms, men, we, you know, burning stuff can be kind of cool. <laughs> but, uh, again, you're doing that, as your job for 40 or 50 hours a week with no protection and no system in place to protect you, it's not going to be good. No, it isn't. And there's some, there's some great photos online of, of, uh, there's one in particular that I've seen a couple of times lately where this guy is driving, you know, the, uh, a, a bulldozer painted army, army cocky. Uh, and there's a huge blazing fire in front of him and he's, pushing stuff into the fire with the bulldozer. No protective equipment at all. And, you know, it's just wild stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, again, this is one of those things where where both, uh, what do you call it, the, the Army, or I should say the military, as well as those individuals need to, again, it's one of those common sense things. If you're sitting there breathing fumes, even if it was a nice, clean fire, breathing fumes from a nice, clean fire is not recommended, much less from from a burn pit. As you, as you, as you mentioned, they're burning everything, and that that includes waste, medical waste, plastic products, uh, paint. Yep, anything you can think of. Right. And and it's just like, come on. Come on, just a, just a little bit of common sense would tell you this is not the proper way of disposing of something. And if you're going to do it like this, please have, you know, have the courtesy to protect your people. Uh, and so just real quick, so now there is a presumptive, uh, what do you call it, a presumptive? Um, presumptive service connection for thank you. Um, people. So the burn pits for asthma and um, rhinitis and sinusitis, sinusitis, excuse me. Um, they haven't. Oh, but, but, go ahead. I, I was, I was going to say they haven't uh, gone any further than that yet. But but at least you know they've 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 at least acknowledged the concept that the burn pits can cause bad things for soldiers. So we we've, we've kind of opened the door, and I think I think that's going to improve. But you never know. Yeah, it's a start. It, it's a it's a it's a huge improvement from no. 
Exactly. Now we have a, we, we've got to start. And then from there, I think it's going to be easier and easier to open that door wider and wider to, to get more uh, claims included. Uh, Francis, we're out of time, but I want to say thank you so much for stopping by. And also thank you from the bottom of my heart for protecting our veterans. And for you folks who are listening today, if you have, if you know of a veteran, even if he looks a hundred percent, okay, he's not complaining of anything, share this episode with him, share veteransbenefits.com Francis and his team this is what they specialize in and they will talk to anybody for free and let them know what what can be done veteransbenefits.com Francis Jackson I want to thank you so much for stopping by my pleasure Bert thanks for having me you bet good stuff there from veterans lawyer Francis Jackson this stuff is so critical I cannot tell you how important this is Uh, and, and I'm grateful for people uh, like Francis Jackson and his team that, that are willing to stand up to our government and hold them accountable and get these benefits that our veterans deserve. So if you know of somebody who is suffering, let's get them to veteransbenefits.com. Maybe, uh, if, they're, if they're a claim that's been denied, let's get them to veteransbenefits.com. Uh, Francis and his team specializes in working with people who claims have been denied. And it's a lot of them. And so uh, don't, uh, don't keep this episode to yourself. Please, let's share it with everybody you know. Let's help as many people as possible. Remember, my friends, thank you so much for stopping by. And, and you were created to succeed. Wrong one. There we go. Tune in Monday through Friday here on Money for Lunch. And check out our website at moneyforlunch.com.